Okay, let's talk about the later letters, because the middle letters now have focused much more on church than the original ones did. It's the, the, it's the believers are becoming more aware that there's a great value in connecting with each other, but that's also somewhat problematic, and there's problems that need to be addressed, and unity comes out of laying our lives down. It doesn't come for fighting for what we think we deserve. One of our consumeristic mentalities about church today, as we sometimes define it, is I want the worship service I like, the teacher I like, the childcare thing I like, the pews that are comfortable, the right kind of music, whether it's contemporary or classic or whatever, and it's all consumeristic finding what my preferences are, which is how we always seem to exploit systems. Once a system is created, even a fairly good system that's meant to kind of facilitate life, then we become people who try to manipulate systems to get the most that we can out of it. And real community, heartfelt connections with brothers and sisters doesn't come on us fighting for our preferences. It comes by laying down our lives and creating safe places for people to be who don't see the world the same way we do and are struggling with things in their life. And the community of God's people is a grace-based place where it's okay to be exactly who you are and where you're at on this journey, struggling where you need to struggle and, and, and questioning what you need to question. And when we create slick environments that are more institutionalized, what we celebrate is conformity and shut up and go along and don't make waves here. We're just trying to keep an efficient operation. Well, love isn't efficient. And that's what we're seeing in those middle letters. When we get to the later letters, we're talking now about First and Second Timothy, Titus, First and Second Peter and Jude. So this will not be nearly as long. And then we're going to take on the very last letters, which are John's letters, including the book of Revelation. These letters are now directed, uh, the first two, Timothy, First and Second Timothy and Titus, they're not directed to churches. They're directed to individuals. The first, these are what we call the pastoral epistles. I think that's a bad name. That already gets us thinking the wrong way about these, chap these verses. Oh, so Timothy and Titus, are pastors. Actually, they're not. They're apostolic representatives of Paul to these given communities. And there's no, nobody's appointed to being a pastor here. It's about elders and overseers and deacons. They're talking about appointing men and women to certain roles in the body of Christ for the purpose of, in, in all of this, mostly 1 Timothy and Titus. The, what's happened is that there's become an unsoundness in doctrine. Timothy is in Ephesus. Are we getting another picture of Ephesus again? And Titus is in Crete. And in both of these places, there's real confusion among the believers about what's true doctrine and what isn't. Because you've got lots of people teaching different things, claiming to be elders and claiming to be people of knowledge and power and worth. So you've got the, the neo-Calvinists way back then trying to make their MacArthurite views known. And you've got these grace people, you know, ultimate reconciliationist dudes, and they're trying to do their deal. And, and they don't know who to believe anymore, particularly the young believers. And so Paul sends these two people as his representative to go to these areas. And what he asks them to do, the main part of what he's asking them to do in this letter, is point out, uh, point out elders. Now, when we think of pointing out elders, all of a sudden, that, or he says, actually, point out overseers. Point out people who can oversee what's going on. We change that to appointing elders to a management council of people who need to meet every week and decide what service we're going to have on Sunday and who gets to teach and who gets to be on the worship team and who's leading a home group. And we change that whole thing. They're not really there to become management councils. They're there to be able to walk through town and point out, say, yeah, there's one. There's one. No, not so much there. So that the young believers who don't know, man, that guy's saying this, that guy's saying this. I don't know what to do. What should I do? He's helping them understand that. And that's what he's asking them to do because sound doctrine is destroying the freedom. That's how important truth is. It's not just we're all going to love each other and end up loving each other in untruth. It's loving each other in the truth and that truth becoming a significant part of what we do together. So 1 Timothy, 
there's a whole narrative about Timothy. I gave you scriptures about it. Don't have time to go into it. Paul has a long history with Timothy. They traveled together for a while. He was the one Paul circumcised after the council at Jerusalem. He's half Jewish, half Gentile. He travels with Paul for quite a while. He's known to the Ephesian group because uh, he was there from the beginning. Timothy was in helping establish that group. Uh, Paul came later, remember, in Ephesians 20. And what Paul is actually saying to the Ephesians, among a lot of it, he's encouraging them about a lot of stuff. And then at the end of that time, Acts chapter 20, he says, some of you are going to rise up from this very group of elders and lead others astray. And it seems now that's what's happened. That's why there's such confusion. Some of the elders that Paul helped establish turned out to either not be the right ones or decide to take a different path after they you know, got in front of people and kind of was a, a leader and it went to their heads, which is why Paul says, don't appoint young people to be leaders because, and I even know that leaders is the right word. Leaders is not a New Testament word. We put it to a word that more has to do with facilitating. Leaders about managing top down. Every institution needs leadership. Body life needs facilitation. People who through hospitality and engaging relationships and open doors to other people and invite people into their home. That's why elders there were, you know, people who, can, people who are hospitable and people who show a certain measure of maturity in their lives. But we take this passage, we used to do this when I was a pastor. We would take the requirements of Timothy and Titus. We made a list of those requirements. And then we tried to find men and women in the body that wanted to be elders. And we were going to teach them to act like they were, had these traits, which is entirely backwards. Because Timothy and Titus, they didn't pass out these traits to the elders and say, can you guys act this way? What they did is they walked said, who's, and what those traits are, all of them, here's a life that demonstrates it's been changed by love. That these people are down the road a ways in the process of being transformed. So if their family life is not whacked out, it makes sense. They've got a good reputation with outsiders because there's an internal integrity that goes with the way they live. And he said, those are the kind of people that you know. He's not even saying check out their doctrine all that deeply. But if you find people who are really transformed, who are hospitable, who are tender, then you find people who know who Jesus is and they're believing the things that are the most life-giving and the most transforming. So uh, Timothy's going there to help people discover that. Probably written as we, after Paul's uh, release from prison, probably 63 to 65, it's that, while well, he's still in prison, excuse me. And, or, no, after, excuse me, after, I've got the prison epistles confused with these. Afterwards, he's still either in Rome or moving on towards Spain, but he's writing back to Asia because he's not going back to Asia. He's going on to, to, the, to the west from there. So he's writing back, helping put some things in place here. The importance of sound doctrine, but I don't know how we lost some words here, and deals strongly with false teachers, but very effective. This is a father writing to his son. Timothy, Paul considered Timothy his son in the faith. So he writes him that way. Titus, very, very similar arrangement. Not as much history with Titus as he has with Timothy. He's in a different location. He's on Crete. But the same basic situation. This is a relatively new church in a very hostile climate, a very morally decrepit climate. And unfortunately, the church is reflecting more of the values of the, of the community they're in rather than the light of God to that city. So he's writing to them. And it is also, find some of these people who have sound doctrine, who have transformed lives, who can facilitate life happening among that group. Again, not manage it, leadership top down, facilitate it in a way through relationships and life and maturity and that their, their authority is really the character of their life, not their line item in a flow chart. 
That's the thing they're wanting them to know. And there's a great passage in Titus about how grace teaches us to say no to ungodly appetites and desires. And for people who want to live graced, who think grace is just an excuse to live any way you want because God's not counting anymore, and God isn't. God's not upset when you sin with, with himself. He's not offended. He hurts for what you're destroying in you and other people around you. And so grace, the more I get to know him, the easier it is to say no to the things in my life that are destructive to me and to people around me. So he says, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no. So for those that see the grace of God as a license to sin or as an excuse to do whatever, he's just saying, no, no. But notice it's grace that teaches you to say no. It's not law. It's not obligation. It's not the behavioral conformity modalities we use from the outside, accountability and standards and obligation. It doesn't work. That only leads to greater sin. That's what Paul's already said to us in Romans. And then 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is written later. Uh, it's really now not about the church at Ephesus so much. What we're seeing in Timothy is Paul's now in his perhaps final imprisonment. It seems he's months away, if not weeks away from death. He seems to indicate that at the end of this. The hour of my departure is at hand, he says. This is the last words from an apostle to a church that is increasingly growing apostate. He's looking back at those churches he planted, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and Galatia, and Colossae, and Thessalonica, and Philippi. And he said, all have deserted me except for a couple of people he mentions. He talks about people in the last days wanting to draw alongside teachers that their itching ears want to hear and lose their heart for sound doctrine. So he's writing Timothy in that climate. Is the church losing its hold on the truth? Has the sound doctrine that hopefully Timothy and Titus were establishing, has it worked? Paul's, Paul's not certain it has. Paul's very much looking at the fact that people seem, even having engaged Christ, to be more enthusiastic about sustaining their own passions than they are about living inside the truth and reality of Jesus. So he's writing to Timothy, and the counsel is personal. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Don't worry about what other people are doing, not doing. And, you know, how do I get others to see what I see? Don't worry about that, Timothy. You fulfill the mission God gave you with the laying on of hands. You do what he's called you to do. Even if people don't want to hear what you have to say, say it to those who do. And then he ends with the hour of my departure is at hand. I'm ready to go on. And I know there's a reward. So even if all of this falls away, you could have Paul in prison going, it's all been a waste. My whole life is a failure. Nobody's making it. And everybody's deserted me. He's not there. He's, I've run the race. I finished the course. I know there's a crown laid up for me. And Paul's totally at peace with the fact that he's done what God's asked him to do in the world. And if his hour of departure is at hand, he's going into a great welcome. Very encouraging book, particularly when you feel like you're all alone and, you know, you're the only one kind of holding on to truth and everybody around you is kind of cutting corners and doing things for their own gratification. Great place to read. Great thing to consider. Now I get to just Peter quickly, Peter and Jude. These are books seemingly from Peter. They're, they're very written very differently. First Peter is, br is just wonderfully written. Second Peter is sloppy and it's a mess. And so people have wondered, did he write both? But Peter says in the first one that Silvanus or Silas is writing Peter for him. So he's got a secretary. So Peter, this rough old fisherman, he's getting somebody to edit his words and make them look better. And uh, the second letter, it seems he wrote by himself and didn't have all that help. So 
This epistle is very consistent with, uh, Paul, with Peter's preaching. Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost talks about the transfiguration, his own fiery trial. He writes to Christians that are scattered. Again, in Turkey, it's probably the same Galatia area, Iconi, Derby, Lister. So we're probably getting the same look at that area. And Paul's writing to them about, uh, Peter's writing to them about the suffering they're encountering. And just don't be surprised at it. Find God's grace in it. He's encouraging people that are really going through a tough fight. And he's saying some wonderful things I've alluded to already about, boy, the old covenant written by people who couldn't understand the things they were looking at. Even angels long to see that. He's writing, even Paul writes things that are so confusing. We're not even sure what he means by them. So Paul's kind of, Peter's kind of letting himself out here. His answer is this. There's an age coming that makes all of this worth it. Don't measure your life in this age because you'll be wrong if you do. And I think we tend to do that. Scripture says over and over again, our life here is like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Just, it's, if we live life that way, my brother died at 49 with MS, wanting to do the things that I'm doing, wanting to do them in Russia during the time when the Iron Curtain was there. He was in college, double majoring in Russian and biblical studies because he had a vision to pray for the deliverance of Russia and someday go there. And by the time the Iron Curtain fell, my brother was suffering with MS in a way that didn't allow him to go and be part of that. His life makes no sense if you just measure it in this age. Four days or two days from his 49th birthday, he passes away with multiple sclerosis in spite of prayers for people. And I've seen God heal multiple sclerosis. For whatever reason, this was not one of those God was healing. And my brother goes home to be with, to be with Jesus at a relatively young age. His life makes no sense if you want to measure it here. And that's why Peter says, don't measure your life here. This is the antechamber. This is just the lobby to the greater reality that God, and everything about our lives will make sense there, not necessarily make sense here. That's the hope you live in. Second Peter, he's writing to him again now, false teachings broken up. Both Second Peter and Jude are almost identical, so much so that there's thought that Peter might have borrowed from some of Jude's letter. We don't know that, but they're using some of the similar examples. False teachers are broken out, and my goodness, are they hard on these false teachers. Man, they, they really go Adam tooth and nail. They almost sound like some of these neo-Calvinist type folks, but there's a lot more love in what they're saying, to be honest. They're really just dealing with the fact that sound, you really want to be a believer that has a heart for the truth. You don't want to just find your comfort level in principles and theology. You want to find the truth of who God is and continue to live in that reality and not be swayed. And they're being swayed both ways. This is what's going on through the whole of the New Testament. Some are being swayed into licentiousness. Grace, man, everything's good. You can just live whatever you want. What you do in the body doesn't matter anymore. Others are being drawn into this legalism. Boy, yeah, we've been saved by grace, but now you have to really keep life straight. Both errors are happening. And they're writing people to bring them back into this elliptical playground. Come back where grace reigns, but it's a transformative kind of grace. So it's not just grace that says it doesn't matter. It matters. Not to God's offense. You still can run to God in the midst of your sin, but when you run to God in the midst of your sin, His loving will transform you. And so make sure that that's the reality that you're finding. Both Peter and Jude pretty much say similar thing. Jude's the author. It's most likely, again, Jude, the brother of Jesus. There are a number of Judes it could be, but just from what's being said. It's interesting that James and Jude both, if they are the brother of Jesus, the familial brother of Jesus, neither one of them refer to it. 
Both of them became significant uh, people among the church at Jerusalem. They did. But neither one of them referred to it here. His theme is exactly the same thing. These now epistles are even later than, than the, uh, the, the, what's called the pastoral epistles that we talked about earlier. They're written again. Sound doctrine has become even a worse issue. There's more false teaching going on as the Christian brothers and sisters become a bigger marketplace in terms of audience share and things men and women fight over, unfortunately. More, sound doct- uh, more unsound doctrine crept in. So these letters challenge that in a, in a style that's very direct and very aggressive because they're wanting believers to keep their heart for the truth and not be dissuaded by those who were lost in error.